Welcome to the Basana Health and Wellness Podcast. At Basana Health, we focus on whole body wellness, connecting physical, spiritual, and mental well-being. We are wellness collaborators with our members, and we embrace our community partnerships. Basana Health promotes holistic and functional care while focusing on transformative lifestyle changes. Welcome to our podcast, where you can take a virtual step towards optimizing your own health and wellness. Welcome to Basana Health and Wellness podcast, episode number 16. Today we hear from Susan Eichorst, physician assistant with Basana Health and Wellness. Susan will share with us how to optimize our health through keeping our hormones balanced. Listen in, you won't want to miss out. Hi, everybody. I am Susan Eichhorst. I'm a physician assistant here at Asana Health and Wellness. I'm really glad people can join us today. I'm going to take a little time to talk about hormone balancing and hormones as far as they relate to healthy aging and helping us feel better in general. Um, so a couple things to get started. You know, I see patients every day and most of them really have a lot of the same complaints. Um, they're gaining weight. They feel like they're more fluffy. They've got more fat than, and less muscle, even though they're working out the same. They may even be eating the same. Um, they feel really fatigued no matter how much sleep they're getting. Lots of complaints about sleep in general. They either can't fall asleep. They can't stay asleep. Their brain isn't working. They feel forgetful. They may have Alzheimer's in the family and starting to feel this is happening to them, even though they're in their 30s, 40s, or early 50s. Uh, many of my patients complain of a low or even no libido at all, even though they're still attracted to their partners and interested in having intimacy. Uh, a lot of my gentlemen patients will complain about decreased morning erections. And even though they frequently can't really pinpoint what's the matter, they feel like they're just kind of past their peak. So the first thing that most people are going to do is go to their doctor. And you go to your traditional primary care doctor or a gynecologist for us girls, and it's really difficult to hear, well, what do you expect? It's normal for your age. You know, you're getting older. Uh, you have kids at home. You have kids in school. You have a stressful job. Now, with the stress of COVID, we see a lot more of these symptoms pop up. And for, regrettably, many of my traditional contemporaries really don't have good solutions for a lot of these kind of nondescript symptoms. Um, but we do have a lot of options for symptoms in general with respect to, well, I can get you a pill to help you sleep or reduce your anxiety or help you with your depression, maybe even treat your diabetes or high blood pressure. But maybe there's a different way. And I always like to say, you know, we all want to age. We just would like to do that a little more slowly and gracefully. I mean, really, when you think about it, old is the goal. Most of us don't want to die young, but we'd like to die as late as possible, but still very youthful. Well, some of the great news that comes out today is really that your family history, your genetics, that really only influences 10% or less of what your real outcome is. There's a new science that we call epigenetics. And what this entails is really understanding that what you eat, the quality of the food, the quality of the air you, or the water you drink, the air you breathe, and how you manage stress, all of these components have strong influence on how your genes express themselves. 
So if you have a high propensity of genetic predisposition for cancers and you live on a high sugar carbohydrate diet, you don't drink any water and you don't manage stress very well, those genes can really express and put you at much higher risk for cancer than if you control for those factors. To me, that's really cool news because that means I can do something about my outcome and how I age. We now have new modalities in medicine called integrative or functional medicine. And really this is physicians and practitioners who are looking to heal the body, to reverse some of the damage that's been done, to find what's the real root cause of why we don't feel the way we do and why these symptoms are coming out and expressing themselves as early as sometimes in our 30s and 40s, much less certainly in our 50s and, and later on. And really the take home here is we can all build a better body. That is for sure. So big questions that come my way though is why doesn't my doctor know some of this stuff and why do they just tell me I'm normal or there's nothing to do about it? I think we all really kind of have to recognize that our medical schools and our residency programs, they're fabulous for acute care. If I have a car accident or a heart attack, I wanna be in an American hospital. If I wanna work on my general health and wellness though, those models are really sent up on a pharmaceutical model. That means there's a pill for every ill. If I develop diabetes, they're gonna give me a medication for it, probably not do a deep dive on what is my food intake, what is my nutritional status, and how do I reverse this disease that is fully reversible. So that is one real problem because this perpetuates the pharmaceutical model in our, our medical um, uh, industry. Um, furthermore, physicians and us practitioners, we are actually trained about new drugs, not because of learning about them on our own or reading about all the studies that are done on them. It's really through the drug reps that come to our offices, bring lunch, entertain us, and teach us about a new drug that then they give us samples of, and then we use in, the, in um, our daily life. So again, we may not really understand what all the ramifications of that medication is. Maybe a newer drug is a lot more expensive, but not as effective as an older medication. Um, so again, it perpetuates the pharmaceutical model. Um, a big, huge problem in medical fields is something called confirmation bias. And confirmation bias is really taking the information that you've learned and then finding data to support that. So it aligns with what you already believe. Many doctors are really dead set against hormone therapy. All hormones are bad. So that means that there's no reason why we should even be supplementing people with hormones. Or I learned in medical school. Well, if that physician is my age in their mid sixties, they learned that 40 years ago in medical school. That doesn't make a lot of sense when we continue to change and evolve and learn more about these body systems we live with and the effect of our environment on us. And then lastly, there's a real problem with delay of information. Just because something's been documented and well-researched and published in the Journal of New England uh, medicine or the Journal of the American Medical Association, then it may take an additional 17 years for that information to really be applied in the general population. So that can be a delay of treatment for many people. So we really need to get back to what is health. Health, as stated by the World Health Organization, is really a state of complete physical, mental, social well-being. This is not merely the absence of disease or infirmary. And I think this is fairly seen, is fairly obvious when we look about the COVID infection, you know, why some people get so deathly ill from it. 
whereas they thought they were healthy. Um, they really may have some underlying physical issues that are not brought to the light until something devastating happens. Um, I look at health is really a positive vitality. You have good energy. You get good restful sleep. You have good memory and clarity and focus. You live with good humor and loving relationships. Health really revolves around good nutrition, nutrient density, comfortable exercise, and adequate stress management. So when you look at health this way, we really have to look at, well, how healthy do you really think you are? Well, the great news is looking forward, we can look more at medical wellness as a new medical model, where we really want to concentrate on drinking good, clean, purified water. Our tap water is safe, but still has numerous contaminants in it, which can accumulate over time, has fluoride in it and chlorine, both which are huge disruptors to our hormones, specifically our thyroid. So we want to drink good purified water. We want to breathe good fresh air that's not contaminated. And we want to concentrate on eating clean food. It's important to recognize that the chemicals that we live with, the toxins that are in our environment, really contribute to our overall health and wellness. And we need to frequently supplement um, with uh, minerals and vitamins, nutrients that are missing or at a depletion at this point. So really, we also want to optimize our hormones to use youthful levels so that they can be beneficial for us. And that's really what we're going to concentrate on today. So when we talk about hormones, what are these things? They're all a big buzz. We all know I'm hormonal or it's just your hormones. Well, hormones are really pretty cool. They are specific little chemical messages that our bodies use and they communicate between each different tissues and body organs. Um, they elicit responses. They turn on little mechanisms. And today we're going to concentrate on testosterone for men and women, estradiol and progesterone for women, and then a little bit about DHEA and adrenal hormone. We'll touch on thyroid regulation. And then I also want to bring in a little bit of information about vitamins D3, which actually is a pro-hormone, meaning it converts into a hormone and its best friend, vitamin K2. So when I talk about hormones, uh, conventionally, we think about a lock and key um, configuration. So when you look at the hormone itself, that's what's secreted from another body part. It then finds the receptor that it fits exactly into, and it stimulates the cell membrane to activate the cell to carry out some kind of a function. When we talk about hormones, it's really typical to talk about normal levels. So Patients will go to their physician, they'll say, I think it's my hormones or my thyroid, and they're told it's normal. The problem with normal is normal ranges are actually based on a population, not on an individual person, certainly not on an optimal or an ideal level. So if you have 100 people and you ask them, are you healthy? They may think they are. Let's check your testosterone. For males, 240 is 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 normal, so is 1100, that becomes the range. But it doesn't really answer the question of, is this an optimal level for an individual person? Furthermore, lots of practitioners will still say, it's normal for your age. Again, I don't really know what this means. I'm in my mid sixties. I really don't wanna be compared to a lot of other mid 60 year old people. I wanna be as youthful as I can for as long as I can until my time here is done. So really norm, normal for age may be a real answer. 
testosterone levels decline as we get older. Women go through menopause and lose estradiol. That does not mean that's healthful for me, but it is normal for my age. We then also have to consider what labs are they testing? You know, when we go in for our annual visit, physical with our physicians, you know, we're told I'm going to do a bunch of labs. They draw five, six, seven tubes of blood from me. Seems like they've tested everything. Traditionally, what we're testing is a CBC, which looks at your complete blood count. That's going to let me know, hey, are you anemic? Is that the cause of your fatigue? Do you have leukemia? Is that something that is going to show up? Um, maybe will give us some information about clotting, but it doesn't tell me what your overall health is. Furthermore, we do a chemistry, a complete metabolic panel, we call that, that is very helpful. Let's me know your liver is appropriately working, your kidneys are functioning okay, you don't have too much calcium, uh, your sodium and potassium levels are good. But again, it doesn't give me a great picture of what's your overall health long-term and almost never gives me answers to why you feel the way you do. Traditional measure for thyroid is something called a TSH. We'll go into much more detail about that in a few minutes. But again, if this is normal and normal is 0.4 to 4.5, that's the end of that discussion on any symptoms that look thyroid related. Normal is normal. We also will check cholesterol, but lots of patients get treated for elevated cholesterol. But if you're not doing specialty labs, if you're not looking at your LDL particle, seeing that these particles might be big and fluffy and huge, and that patient doesn't need to be treated for cholesterol, that's not gonna be a harmful particle. So these are tests that we wanna keep getting on board for patients with their primary cares or through an, an office like ourselves. Um, last thing that I think needs to really be entertained is food sensitivities. Are we checking inflammation markers? Are we checking hormone levels and really knowing what markers to look for in those, those arenas? So if all these things come back normal, now the patient walks away thinking, so I guess this is normal. I feel terrible. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I have no um, desire for intimacy. And I'm in my 40s. I think that's really disappointing to think how that person is living currently, but also what do they have to look forward to when they're in their 50s and 60s and hopefully 70s and 80s as well. So really important to talk about, let's get back to hormones, to talk about when you test for hormones, you need to be aware that there's a total amount. That is what's bound to these proteins, the sex hormone binding globulin, this SHBG. That protein binds testosterone so tightly that can't be used by the body. So if you only get a total testosterone checked for your husband or yourself, it's not going to tell the whole picture because I want to know how much of that hormone is actually free to circulate around the body to fit into that little outlet or receptor that we saw earlier. That's what turns the cell on, activates it, and gets the results. Albumin is a lightly or a, um, a loosely bound um, protein, so that does become bioavailable as well. But really what we want to know is, I want to know what your total amount is, but I'm really more interested in what's the free amount so I know that you have enough hormone to really use, utilize. Here's a good example of normal versus optimal levels. So again, this total versus free testosterone. Men is a great example, <clears throat> excuse me, depending on which laboratory you're working at, 240, 250, that's kind of the low end of a normal range. Um, that range goes up to about 1100. I'm looking for optimal levels over a thousand so that I know that patient's staying in that high end, but also to get enough free testosterone. Because when you look at that range, 35 is normal, so is 155. So theoretically, <clears throat> excuse me, 
you can have a really good male <clears throat> testosterone <clears throat> of 600. That guy goes to his primary care. Hey, Bob, this looks great. Your testosterone's at 600. Well, what if his free testosterone's at 40? And most of that hormone is bound up to a protein. Now that gentleman lives with a deficit in testosterone, which can really contribute to poor health overall, and certainly how he's feeling currently, without really understanding that that total amount does not give the whole picture. Another great example of um, total um, versus free is, or, or different markers in this case, is the thyroid management. So um, TSH is the most commonly used marker for thyroid. Uh, 0.4 is normal, so is 4.5. That range is way too wide. And frankly, it's a really poor marker for thyroid because it doesn't measure the free T3. That is the thyroid hormone that really gives you the activity that you need at the cellular level. So if you're only checking a TSH and that TSH is not high, meaning it's outside that range and a ton of this hormone is being pumped out into the system to trigger this thyroid to give some of the hormone we use, lots of these patients never get treated. Even if they do get treated, if you're not checking the free T3, you're missing the point of what the active hormone is. Most of us are going to feel better when that hormone's in the high end of the range, not down at the low end at 2.3. And we'll go into more detail about that when we get to thyroid. But first, I want to start with females and hormones. You know, we get the lion's share of the problems with hormones. We start our periods in our teens. Now it's even younger. Um, it seems like, you know, it's not uncommon to have eight, nine, 10 year old girls start to have their periods. We have that for a good 40 years. Um, and we certainly feel those effects through pregnancy and, and periods every month. Um, when we talk about hormones for women, primarily we talk about estrogen and progesterone. So estrogen is actually a group of three hormones, estriol, kind of a loosely bound healthful estrogen, but not very strong and not as effective at eliciting these changes as the estradiol. Estradiol is really the most healthful form of estrogen. And then estrone has some benefits, but really it becomes more dominant as we go through menopause and we make our estrogen more from converting fat. Estrone is actually a byproduct as we break estrogen down and excrete it out of the body. And when this accumulates, it actually is a lot more implicated in, in um, promoting breast cancer and uterine cancer. Um, progesterone is a very healthful, calming hormone that frequently is missed in replacing for women that don't have a uterus, if they've had a hysterectomy, um, and also is really underutilized for our, our menstruating women. Um, we'll get into estrogen dominance and the lack of progesterone. This can be life-changing for women um, and when you do add this into uh, their hormone regimen. Then we'll talk about testosterone. Still a little controversial. I'm not sure why, but um, for women to get testosterone, it's a very healthy hormone. We certainly respond well to testosterone on so many levels. And it's really, I think, a disservice to withhold that from women, from women based on old myth and erroneous uh, uh, information, actually. Um, thyroid, really a big problem for women, much more for men. I see enough men that have thyroid issues, but boy, we sure get our lion's share of, of problems with thyroid. Frequently it's, it is low, but sometimes it's just suboptimal. So these normal levels pop up. And if your doctor is not astute to treating with thyroid, that gets overlooked. 
Interestingly, many of um, physicians um, in my own practice, I have seen probably three or four women who have been placed on Adderall or Ritalin, even in their 40s and 50s, when really it's their thyroid that's sub-functioning. And their doctors are fine with putting them on a stimulant, but a little hesitant to do anything with their thyroid. Uh, and lastly, we'll talk about DHEA. Uh, DHEA is a hormone that is secreted from the adrenal glands and highly beneficial in maintaining muscle mass and uh, in, improving our metabolism. So this little diagram gives us a good picture, uh, an overview of just how um, widespread the effects of estrogen are. And I will say, Estrogen gets interplaced with estradiol. Um, estradiol is the form of estrogen that I use for replacement, but frequently these, these things are interchangeable in the literature. Um, but here, not surprisingly, we're not, no, nobody's surprised that it has a uh, effect on breast growth and feeding function, um, our menstrual cycle uh, and ovulation, but really hugely important in brain function. So memory function, uh, libido um, stimulation, uh, the, the brain loves estradiol and estrogen. And it's a huge component of menopause that this dementia uh, surge that we are seeing in our, uh, in our um, population is becoming so high um, with menopause. Um, there's lots of effects from a dementia perspective with respect to diet as well, but lack of estrogen is certainly contributing to uh, women getting the lion's share of dementia. Uh, estrogen has a ginormous effect on our lipid profile, helps with regulating our cholesterol and, and our uh, LDL cholesterol specifically, um, and raising our HDL or good cholesterol. So it is very cardioprotective. Uh, most of us are aware that it is helpful for maintaining good bone density. In fact, we know that those first five years after women go through uh, menopause, if they don't replace estrogen, we have a very high spike in osteoporosis and bone loss at that point. Fortunately, adding estradiol back in can be beneficial for building new bone. And lastly, but very important in our practice is the effect on uh, our skin tone. It actually contributes to collagen production and helps with anti-aging effects of skin. So when I talk about estrogen, specifically in my women that are still menstruating, there is kind of a phenomenon, a condition that we loosely term estrogen dominance. And really what this means is your estrogen and your progesterone are not well balanced. So you could have too much estrogen, you could have a normal amount of estrogen, you could even have a low amount of estrogen. But if you don't have enough progesterone to balance that, you're going to end up with some of these symptoms potentially. You feel bloated, you're, you just, you don't feel right, you're irritable, moody, bitchy, you, you feel kind of fluffy in the middle, you're gaining weight and can't lose it. Your brain's just not crisp and clear. And many of these women are not sleeping well at all. Much of that, as I said, is the effect of a low progesterone. So there isn't a need to decrease the estradiol specifically. Estradiol is healthy. So I don't want to reduce the estradiol. I want women to get all those cardiovascular, bone, brain protectiveness components of it. But adding natural progesterone can be life-changing in mitigating migraines, helping that woman to sleep. Uh, we know it's implicated in polycystic ovarian syndrome and infertility. Many women on infertility treatments will be using natural progesterone to maintain that pregnancy if they can't make their own progesterone. It is highly effective for premenstrual syndrome, for postpartum depression, where there's a dramatic drop-off of all those hormones, and the woman's ovaries have just not kicked back in. 
adding high doses of, of natural progesterone can really be um, hugely um, helpful in mitigating those, those really terrible symptoms that are happening while you've just had this child. Uh, heavy menses can be from a low progesterone. I have two patients I can think of now that were scheduled for hysterectomy and um, both of them opted to try adding progesterone and um, their periods regulated and they elected, you know, I don't really know why I need to go under surgery for heavy bleeding when I'm back to normal menstruation. Um, and then lastly, low progesterone with that imbalance of estradiol can contribute to the growth of a fibroid in the uterine uh, lining. Low progesterone contributes to uh, the formation, the uh, acceleration of breast cancer. Breast cancer is pretty multifactorial. We have a lot better understanding about why cancer even develops, um, but um, certainly it can be fed from estradiol or estrogen um, and mitigated uh, prevented or actually helped balanced with the addition of progesterone. And then low libido pops up on so many things because that again, is very multifactorial. So then when women go through that perimenopause phase where they're feeling a little crazy, now we start to lose all that estrogen. And this can go on for a number of years actually that we can be in perimenopause with these fluctuating levels, but eventually our ovaries are going to stop producing estrogen. The, um, the symptoms then become much more significant with respect to many women will feel more depressed. They just don't have a sense of well-being. Their libido is pretty shot. They may be having a lot of mood swings and irritability, uh, more urinary tract infections because the vaginal mucosa is dry and fragile and really puts a different um, environment in the vagina. Um, so that puts us at more uh, risk for incontinence and urinary tract infections, not to mention painful intercourse. Um, and lastly, estrogen, um, loss of estrogen can contribute to arthritic pain as well. So these are the things that bring people into my office. My female patients will be complaining of hot flashes, night sweats, they're not sleeping, they're irritable, um, they're gaining weight, they don't have a libido, intercourse is painful. But I really want women to recognize and understand that these are the things that I would like us to recognize why hormones are so important to maintain is because we want to protect ourselves from heart disease. It's the number one leading killer of females. Um, osteoporosis and bone fracture, uh, reducing our risk for dementia and incontinence, which um, although is not life-threatening can certainly change how somebody socializes and how they feel about themselves. So then we talk about hormone replacement therapy. So many women in their um, perimenopause phase with these heavy periods and a lot of irritability, they will be offered oral contraceptive pills. Um, this can work very well. It will suppress our own ovaries from producing any hormones at all. So you're not circulating any estradiol or progesterone if you're making progesterone, um, but you are now circulating these pseudo hormones, these synthetic forms of hormones. Many women don't respond well to oral contraceptives and a number of women frankly don't need them at this phase of life. Their spouse may have had a vasectomy. They may have had their tubes tied. Um, so not always the best option. Um, once we're into menopause, and, and I will add, those are the times when I will talk about natural progesterone for those women and those symptoms. Um, once we're really into menopause, that's when our traditional methods are Premarin, which is um, a synthetic form of estrogen, and Progestin, which is a synthetic form of progesterone. Again, these are synthetic hormones. 
I'm not fully anti-synthetic, but these hormones are not true hormones. So when you think about that lock and key, they fit well enough, well enough to turn off my hot flashes, you know, help with my vaginal dryness, but they're really not doing all the protectiveness that they have, the, the natural hormones do. The other part of conventional hormones is there was a very large study back in the, that closed in 2005, but a lot of information came out in 2000, studied over 70,000 women, hormone replacement therapy, Premarin alone for women that didn't have a uterus and Premarin and Progestin, something called PremPro for women with uteruses. That study was halted in 2000 because they did find a higher instance of um, breast cancer in the PremPro, Premarin and Progestin, not in the Premarin alone. Premarin alone actually saw a little bit of a decrease in breast cancer. And I should add, Premarin is not only a synthetic form, it's extracted from pregnant mare urine. So it's actually a horse estrogen. They really um, found that, interestingly enough, even the horse estrogen was not as horrible for us for our heart and our brain, but it did cause a higher risk of, of um, clotting. So we had a higher risk of, of stroke and a blood clot on Premarin. Hence, many doctors extrapolate that, that that's all estrogen or estradiol, and it is not. But the real culprit here, and really the take home here, is progestin is a very uh, lethal and toxic form of synthetic progesterone. Um, it is absolutely implicated in breast cancer and in uterine cancer, and you will never see my name attached to that on a prescription. I will only write for natural progesterone. Uh, finally, though, even if someone is put on traditional hormone replacement and they feel great and they're tolerating it well, the convention now is, well, we're going to take you off in five or six years because that raises your risk of breast cancer long, long term. Well, now what do I do? You know, I, now I get to go through menopause and have all those symptoms that we just alleviated. That just doesn't make sense. So the other option is actually bioidentical hormone replacement. These are human identical compounds. They are formulated from yams or soy. They're still manipulated in a laboratory, but they look exactly the same as the estradiol that my ovaries used to make. They look exactly like the testosterone that a male makes from his testicles. And I made from my ovaries and my adrenal glands. So to our body, they fit perfectly into that lock and key. They stimulate the cell to do exactly what it's supposed to do. Downside is they frequently are correlated or uh, um, most doctors kind of think they're all the same and they're really not. Uh, we use bioidentical hormones in this practice to replace or supplement the natural hormones that are deficient or have completely waned. As I mentioned, I use estradiol as the most helpful form of estrogen. Um, and I replace progesterone with natural progesterone um, in either an oral form or a trochee, uh, which, which is a little lozenge. So estradiol really super helpful for brain, heart, bone protectiveness, maintains the collagen in our skin, makes us look more youthful, but also more protected. Our skin is our most protective organ and we wanna make sure that that integrity is intact. Um, really helpful for maintaining gynecological health and urological health, um, reducing risk of urinary tract infections, uh, painful intercourse and um, uh, incontinence as well. And as I said, 
Estradiol does not cause breast cancer. That is very multifactorial between food, genetics, environmental impacts, um, large, large other discussion about that. But if there's an undiagnosed breast cancer and that woman's been off hormones for a while and they're reintroduced, that could stimulate growth of that tumor if that tumor has developed something called uh, estrogen positive receptors. So it can be uh, implicated in it, although it's not the exact cause. So when we give estradiol, you can do that in an oral form, actually swallowing estradiol. Um, it, was, it had been vilified for quite a while from that WHI, the Women's Health Initiative study, because it was believed to be harmful um, but actually it's Premarin that causes the blood clots and the stroke, not oral estradiol. It will be another 20 years before most physicians will really understand that those things are very different. Um, this trochee that I talked about, that's a little lozenge. It slides between your cheek and your gum. You let it just sit there and dissolve and the hormone actually gets delivered through the mucous membrane in your cheek into the body, kind of acts like a suppository that you put in the rectum. Um, and then we do use some creams. Creams are not as effective for estradiol. They can be great for just a vaginal application if somebody's having painful intercourse or um, some dryness prior to menopause, but I, I don't use those for good overall health um, uh, because they just don't get levels up as high as we need them. I'm most trained in pellets. Pellets are small little compact hormones that are really compact and under pressure. They are placed into some fat tissue, usually in the high end of the, the tush back here. For my girls, I go a little bit higher into the flank area for my guys when I give pellets there. Um, we get really great levels with them. They're placed every three to four months. So it's something that you don't have to do every day um, uh, and just kind of get them and forget about them. Progesterone, the balancer of estradiol and estrogen, really kind of the great balancer. So a very calming hormone, it reduces anxiety for many people. It induces sleep when you take it orally. Um, it can be a real balancer for heavy periods, for PMS, for that postpartum depression, really not utilized nearly as much as it really should be in the general population. Um, a lot of young girls are being put on birth control when they're 12, 13, 14 years old because they have such horrible pregnancy, I'm sorry, such horrible periods. Um, but really in actuality, you could put a natural progesterone for that person, regulate their, their um, menses, make them much more comfortable without having to put them on a birth control pill that they may be on for 20 years. Trochies are really great to use during the day. I do use oral capsules at bedtime because it does induce such a restful sleep for most of my females. Um, we can balance them out for PMS. Some women will just take them to the second half of their period. Other women find using progesterone throughout the month is really beneficial for how they feel overall. And then you can give quite high doses of progesterone, 600, 800 milligrams for postpartum depression and for heavy bleeding. Now, when we talk about estradiol and progesterone for men, the old convention was that estrogen was harmful for men. Well, actually, estrogen and estradiol are really just as helpful for our men's health as it is for us. It's really important for cardiovascular health, for maintaining good bone structure and muscle mass, for reducing risk of prostate cancer, and for um, reducing risk of dementia as well. I don't generally give estradiol to men but the testosterone converts over to estrogen. So 
We don't want to block that. But over time, because the bodybuilders out there are using anabolic steroids, really those guys wanted to block estrogen. They just want to bulk up as much as they can. And we were seeing a much higher incidence of brain cancer, higher incidence of cardiovascular disease, and even osteoporosis. But um, I don't block estrogen um, very, very rarely. Will I give a, a gentleman an estrogen blocker um, only if he's highly symptomatic? He's very emotional after getting testosterone. We haven't gotten him well balanced. His breasts are very tender. Um, then I may give them a, an estrogen blocker, but only for a short period of time, because I don't want them to lose that benefit of estrogen. And then I don't endorse progesterone for men. I know there's some anti-aging physicians that do give small amount of progesterone to men. I have been taught through my lectures that actually it gives us an increased risk of plaque rupture in men. So until I have better information, I'm just not comfortable with, with prescribing that for men. Then we get to testosterone. Everybody wants to know about testosterone because it's such a buzzword these days, these low T clinics. Um, it's not just about the sex, but that is the fun part. We do get better function. Women do get their libido back with the addition of testosterone, but they usually stay with it for other reasons. So when we look at the testosterone influence on our bodies, this is excuse me, particularly for men, but it has a lot of the same influence for women. It does affect our brain with respect to positive feelings, lowering um, anxiety, better sense of well-being. It does stimulate our sex drive. It increases our bone marrow to make more red blood cells that can help with oxygenation, increases bone density and maintains that bone density, um, increases muscle mass and strength which is more metabolically act active. It does develop our, the male sex hormones, or I'm sorry, it's male sex organs. And we will see with women that are uh, supplemented with testosterone that we will see some engorgement of the clitoris um, more frequently during arousal, but it can be present at other times because there's more blood supply to that area as well and it's erectile type tissue. Um, testosterone unfortunately can promote some hair growth on the face, but it also supports collagen, which is helpful for our skin maintenance. This is a good depiction of just how that normal for your age can really be a downfall. So, you know, in our twenties, this is of course for men, um, that male testosterone is quite high. Now you keep going through the years and look at where it is when is your guy in my age group, this guy's pretty depleted. What if that's the guy I want to date or my husband? that is not a healthy situation. And sex is only a small part of that. It's really them, their mentation. How do they feel about themselves? How much fat are they carrying? How much heart issue do they have? Are they at higher risk for prostate cancer? So this is one of the main reasons why supplementing with testosterone can be so impactful for our men, but also for us girls too. Um, testosterone's got tons of myths around it. It's amazing how many things in medicine just get perpetuated, even in the literature, without having really great citations. So many people think, oh, I don't know, testosterone and aggression. The studies out there do not support that. That was based on a false study that honestly continued to get propagated through the literature, going back to a study that on second and third glance really didn't have the merit. In actuality, we find that optimizing testosterone levels is a fabulous treatment for treating post-traumatic stress disorder, for lowering those anxiety and depressed feelings. So actually not causing aggression. Um, and then testosterone is going to just bulk me up. 
No, those are anabolic steroids that do that. Those are actually acting on an anabolic mechanism. They have nothing to do with bioidentical testosterone. Testosterone will build better muscle. And if you are working out, yes, you will get some bulking up, but it also is more metabolically active and it helps reduce more visceral fat. Testosterone causes prostate cancer. Again, not a true statement. Uh, there is, um, we do watch for prostate cancer. It's a highly prevalent thing as a gentleman gets older. Um, and in actuality, what we find is lower testosterone levels are more associated with much more aggressive and high grade cancer when we do find cancer in gentlemen. Uh, testosterone causes heart attacks. Um, don't see that in the literature either. And we certainly are not saying to gentlemen, hey, let's reduce your testosterone level that your own testicles are making. So there isn't a lot of logic with some of these myths. And in actuality, we do know, as I mentioned earlier, that testosterone can stimulate the bone marrow to make more red blood cells that can make your hematocrit high. That's the volume of blood in the whole tube of blood. Um, it's a ratio. Um, many doctors interpret that as thicker blood but in actuality, evidence-based medicine does not support that this is harmful. When you look at people living at true altitude, we live at 12,000, 13,000 feet, maybe, usually more like 8, 10, 10, 8, 10, 12. When you look at people in the Andes, they're living at 14, even 16,000 feet on a regular basis. They are not at higher risk of, of heart attack or stroke that they find in the literature. And lastly, lots of myth around testosterone for women, that this is harmful that it's really a male hormone. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. You know, women need some testosterone for ovulation. So we know our bodies use it, but every single cell in a female body, just like in a male body, has a receptor or a little outlet where testosterone can fit. And furthermore, I will add, it's very common today for transgenders to be transitioned with testosterone, female to male, high doses of testosterone for the length of their life. Nothing in the literature that I could find, University of California, uh, San Francisco, um, I think it was Baylor's site, none of them state these are warnings for using testosterone. And these are 10 times the amount that we're giving to women to use as a supplement. So again, lots of myths, not good truths. Lots of benefits of testosterone for men and women great neurocognition um, increase, mental focus. Again, that lean muscle mass that decreases fat, improves libido, sexual function, decreased anxiety and depression, better vitality and stamina, positively alters your pain perception. So it definitely decreases joint and muscle pain in many people and just improves our mood and overall sense of well-being. How can that be wrong? So again, cardioprotective, bone protective, breast protective. If you take a breast tumor and inject true or pure testosterone into it, there's a couple of studies that have shown regression of that tumor over time only from testosterone. Improves our lipids, decreases headaches, and decreases anxiety and depression, which is probably one of the biggest things. There are some side effects, especially for women. We can grow a little more facial hair. We're plucking a little more. That's what laser can help with, depilatories. Even a microderm, uh, microplaning um, can stimulate some acne for a few of us. I can reduce doses, but I can also um, uh, use some medication for that. 
I've seen some water retention in women, especially with pellets, although that's rare. Um, and it can cause some hair loss on the head, but again, that's quite rare. And I would really want to make sure that that thyroid was well regulated before I did anything. For my gentlemen, I do mention that it can decrease sperm count, not enough for true birth control, but can also cause some uh, reversible testicular shrinkage. So we can give testosterone through pellets, creams, trophies, and injectables. Um, pellet doses are very different by 50 milligrams to 225 for women versus 700 to 2200 for men, large difference in those levels. And then I repellet women about every three to five months. And my guys, I see about every four to six months. Uh, creams and trochies have to be put on daily and frequently twice daily. Um, injections are usually once a week but twice a week dosing is better. And I choose not to do injectables. They're just a little bit harder to manage. I'm looking for peak levels with these pellets at about 200, 300 for women, over a thousand for men. And that's what a pellet looks like, just compressed testosterone or estradiol. The estradiol are much smaller. So that covers what I do in pelleting and hormone replacement. I just wanna take a couple minutes to talk about DHEA. That's a separate hormone, the most abundant one circulating in our body produced by the adrenal glands. It's actually the precursor or the starting point for testosterone and estrogen. However, just taking DHEA is really not enough to get those levels up to beneficial health levels, um, but it has its own receptor on the cell. So it activates that cell to go into an anabolic or a protein building, muscle building state versus a breakdown of that muscle, um, which is called a catabolic state. Uh, high levels of um, circulating DHEA can be particularly helpful for arthritis, especially in women. Um, the micronized form is really the best form. You can find that over the counter. You just need to make sure the label says it's micronized. If you're testing for DHEA, you want to check for DHEA sulfate. Uh, that gives you the level in the blood. Um, just a diagram or an explanation here of these normal levels and age related. So a 20 to 29, 280 to 640. Now you flash forward and you're 60 to 69, you're down to 42 to 290. So really we're looking for optimal ranges between 500 and 600 for men. Our normal numbers also decrease for women uh, from a high of 65 to 380 down to 32 to 240 while you're still in your 40s. So I'm looking for these levels about 200 to 250 for females, but levels up around 400 or even 500 for some women can be really helpful for their arthritis. It's pretty amazing. Then I wanna take a couple minutes and talk about thyroid. Um, this certainly can have an impact on our relationships, on our interpersonal relationship with our partner. I have a whole other webinar that goes into understanding your thyroid, which would be a much bigger deep dive, but I do think it's important to cover that this year as well. Um, thyroid medicine, specifically Synthroid or its generic levothyroxine, is really the most commonly prescribed medication worldwide. Unfortunately, thyroid is probably the most under-medicated condition worldwide as well. When you look at this diagram, you can see the major hormones that come out of a thyroid gland is the T4 and T3. T3 is really the active form. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but look at how many organs this thing regulates. So it regulates my heart rate. It regulates my menstrual cycle, how I metabolize glucose. Is this gonna to contribute to me becoming pre-diabetic or diabetic? It contributes to our lipid formation better thyroid levels, lower levels of LDL cholesterol. 
how my muscles work, my body temperature. Many people with suboptimal thyroid have really low body temperature and are cold all the time. How we regulate our weight and certainly how our brain works. There's 200 plus symptoms of suboptimal thyroid. We've already gone through some of these in what, that last slide, but people frequently will say, I'm tired, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm foggy. I'm gaining weight I can't lose. My hair is thinning or falling out. My menstrual period's off. I can't get pregnant. I'm constipated. My brain's not working. I just don't feel good. That's really where we need to look more at thyroid because it's so easy to throw this out because these normal numbers show up. So when we talk about thyroid hormones, we want to check the thyroid stimulating hormone. We want to know what the free T3 is. That's the active form. The stimulating hormone just tells my thyroid, can I get more gland, more hormone out here? The free T4 is actually a storage hormone. And then there's something called reverse T3, which is a totally inactive form of, of thyroid that we make when we're under stress. Briefly, this thyroid stimulating hormone, most monitored hormone that we check, really only gives me some good information if you're not on any medicine. Are you hypo, meaning this level is very high and your brain's sending out a ton of this hormone to try to stimulate more hormone to come out of the gland? Or is it super low and you're actually hyperthyroid, you have way too much thyroid and the brain says, I don't need any more. So it's a brain hormone, not a thyroid hormone. It's an incomplete marker of thyroid function, and it really doesn't tell me anything about how optimized you are. So that TSH is stimulated from actually another part of the brain to send a message to the thyroid gland to kick out the T3 and T4. And that's really what we need to be measuring. Even more importantly, when you look at what this thyroid is kicking out, it kicks out 85 to 90% of that thyroid hormone is T4. I can't use T4 in my cells. It has to be converted to T3 and we don't make very much T3. This T4 is also dependent on how high is my cortisol? If it's too high, I'm gonna flip over to reverse T3 because my body thinks I'm highly stressed. So you have to have normal levels of cortisol, enough zinc, selenium, magnesium, vitamin D to make this conversion and actually get the T3. And the goal is T3. T3 is the real hero here. And that's what we need to keep measuring. It's the most bioavailable hormone. It's the active thyroid hormone. It's the most important for our energy. And it's really what's missing in most of our treatment when we're only treating with synthroid or levothyroxine, which is just T4. Lots of suboptimal thyroid um, conditions where the levels are normal, but you're still symptomatic. You could be hypothyroid. Thyroid, those people are probably going to get treated in the general community because their TSH is high and their doctor is, is taught, hey, something's going on here. But if you're making some uh, too much reverse T3, you're just kind of moving through life with your parking brake on just a little bit. So you can move, but you're really moving with your brakes on. And then there's autoimmune conditions. I don't have time to go into those today. It's not as pertinent to this, but the other lecture can go into those in greater detail. And they're very important from a thyroid perspective. Thyroid can be just impactful for I don't feel good, but could really be a cause of major infertility, major depression, and severe anxiety. Frequently, that's where those autoimmune conditions come in, and patients are falsely treated for bipolar disorder or major depression when actually they have Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, which is a separate um, uh, condition. Thyroid labs that need to be checked. Again, the ranges are here, but really most people are gonna feel better when they're in the higher range of the free T3 and when they have a low reverse T3. 
I think it's also important to check for those TPO and TG antibodies. Medication-wise, levothyroxine or Synthroid is not a bad drug. However, it really only incorporates the T4 component. So most of those patients are going to feel better if they're on Cytomel or T3, unless they're able to convert that T4 to T3. I prefer natural desiccated thyroid. It's a porcine thyroid. So I do respect that some people have religious or uh, dietary concerns with a pork product. Um, but the nature thyroid and NP thyroid are both guaranteed gluten-free products. They provide both T4 and T3 plus some calcitonin, which is in our normal thyroid. Armor is also a natural desiccated thyroid. I don't love this as much, although some patients do feel better on it and I respect that, um, but it's not guaranteed gluten-free and that can be a big component, especially for my autoimmune patients. I can also have a compounding pharmacist make a compounded specific for that person, T4 and T3 to the doses that we need. Optimal levels, as I said, high end of the range, the TSH sometimes gets suppressed and is interpreted that you're hyperthyroid or over-medicated. It's really pretty impossible to be over-medicated without knowing that. Your heart's gonna be racing, you're jumpy, you're jittery, you're anxious. That is not something most of us sit there and comfortably with. So really make sure we're looking at the free T3. Numerous studies show that safety, even at high doses of these thyroid medications, and really the important thing is finding that sweet spot for the patient. Very briefly, vitamin D3, really it's a hormone. It's important for bone health, mental health. It regulates over 200 genes in our body. So I want my anti-cancers kind of revved up, my anti-aging revved up, my cancer-causing genes really quieted down and vitamin D can help do that. Lower levels are associated with more autoimmune conditions and actually levels over 50 are now being seen to reduce the severity of illness with COVID infection. Vitamin D3 is best friends with, D, with vitamin K2. Vitamin K2 aids in releasing calcium from our soft tissue and activates the proteins that help to stimulate bone growth. It's very important for our heart, bone, and our dental health. So that kind of wraps up the hormones. Um, there are some supplements that we do find very important and beneficial for our patients. Diandolol methane or DIM really helps with providing more free testosterone, but also helping with estrogen metabolism and keeping that estrogen in the estradiol form. Uh, Omega-3 fatty acids, really beneficial for building cell membranes, helps with reducing um, uh, pain through our joints, helps in ca uh, cardiac health. Magnesium aids in um, calcium absorption into the bone, but it also helps making ATP, which is our energy. Uh, selenium, a powerful antioxidant, but also reduces some antibodies that we see with autoimmune thyroid. Uh, nitric oxide enhancers can really increase vasodilation to carry more oxygen to tissues and also improve ED for our guys. And lastly, probiotics can really feed and help that gut bacteria become more better balanced. Many people want to ask, so when am I going to feel better? If I start doing something with my hormones, when's something going to happen? So thyroid's pretty quick. Usually within just a couple of weeks, you will start to feel some better effects. It might take us a little time to get that better regulated, um, but we can tweak that and, and titrate that dose accordingly. Uh, testosterone pellets, they take a good three to four weeks to start to get up to level. Um, this can be a little subtle for some men because they're not very depleted, um, but then they get a reach of kind of a peak at four to six weeks and then slowly wane over the course of four to six months for men, three to five months for women because we have lower doses. 
Our estradiol pellets kick in really quickly. So if somebody sees me for hot flashes, I can pretty much guarantee they're going to be feeling better in three to five days. That's pretty, pretty awesome. Everybody's going to benefit from hormone optimization, but a lot of other factors can interplay on why you really don't feel great. You know, we can have food sensitivities, you may have autoantibodies that are affecting other parts of the body, uh, and gut microbiome dysbiosis or an irregularity in that gut microbiome and bacteria can really have an impact on our mental health and our physical health. We could have some micronutrient deficiencies. We can always test for that. And people can have toxic exposures. Uh, mold is even here in Denver, can be prevalent. Uh, electromagnetic fields from our phones and our Wi-Fi's, people can be sensitive to that, plus all the chemicals that we have in our world. So really getting started on this whole journey, we want to check some labs, see where those levels are. We'd have you schedule an appointment so that you can tell your own personal story, and then we can get your laboratory work and review those labs and then go over recommendations and start therapy. And I do encourage people to consider their planning with their flex plan or their HSA, because many of these expenses can be covered there um, for their pellets, labs, and some of the supplements as well. Just to give you an idea of investment, our consultation fee is $125. Our initial labs are pretty routinely $310. Follow-up labs and annual labs are going to be variable depending on what we're checking. Uh, pellets run about $350 for women. That's each visit that lasts about three to five months. Uh, $650 to $750 depending on the dosing for men, and those pellets last about four to six months. Creams can run about $150 a month, and trochies are going to be variable because of how much dosing is in those, but they're um, $30 to $45 a month. And then finally, takeaways from this. Really, it's hormone optimization that is so important in our healthy aging as one more factor. I really want people to understand you can make your health and wellness a priority. And please remember, your health is an investment. It is not an expense, and we need to start looking at our health that way. So I think we'll say goodbye for today. I certainly appreciate everybody attending. And if you do have um, any interest in getting to know us a little better and seeing how we can help with your health journey, we'd love to see you in the office. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. The Sauna Health and Wellness Podcast is brought to you by Atagi Plastic Surgery and Atagi Skin Aesthetics. Check us out at atagimd.com. A-T-A-G-I-M-D.com. We offer plastic surgery, skin aesthetics, non-surgical treatments, and hormone therapy. Some of the many things we offer include Botox, dermal fillers, Exilis skin tightening, Kybella, skin aesthetics, all therapy, Vanquish fat reduction, PRP hair restoration, PRP breast lift, and hormone health. Follow us on our website at atagimd.com to learn about all of our specials and events each month. Some of our specials include monthly discounts off products and services or wrinkle-free Wednesdays. Check us out at atagimd.com.